Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. JC, got to check out this chat room, man. Boom, boom, boom. All these people already jumping in saying, hey, how's it going? All right. Happy to have everybody here with us today. I just, you know, this is getting to be... So exciting for me, sorry, to have this opportunity to speak to you guys and to deliver to you the Constitution and current events and everything that we've got going on. It seems like everybody's talking about all the um, how to, uh, the downtime that they've had during the COVID, and I just don't see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't have it, Excuse and I me. need it. Yeah, Chrisanne was back there messing with a camera today, and... Uh, kicking it and knocking it around and slapping it around and that's what happens when you leave me alone with the camera privet privet voice in the dark privet privet all right over again we got uh, washington state in the house we got the silva family in the house silva family the whole family jc cool like mom dad and everybody and there's their students correct me if i'm wrong silva family but you guys are students at the libertyfirstuniversity.com all of the family uh, does the libertyfirstuniversity.com Thank you. stuff that we have. <laughs> I don't think our crowd would have minded that, JC. No, but the YouTube censors <laughs> might not have liked that. The YouTube While censors. I unholstered. Oh, uh, well, you unholstered. Thank, unholstered. Thank you for that. I'm not carrying cover. on my person anymore, sir. <laughs> but look, we got Blue North in the house. We got uh, Denver. And we've got Central Indiana, Tacoma. Tacoma in the house. Sausalito, California. Where is Sausalito? Do you know where that is? Um, Sausalito, California. Virginia, Michigan, SoCal. Hey, Sausalito, keep your eyes open. We got some amazing things coming through in SoCal. So those of you who missed us in NoCal, watch out for us in SoCal. Things are coming forward and doing what they need to do. JC, I forgot to mention yesterday when we were, well, we've been talking two days now about the Chicago. Why is everybody giving California such a bad deal when it's Chicago that has, the government in Chicago is off the chain, JC. I threatening to bulldoze churches for staying yeah, open. I don't even know that. Well, our friends Sausalito, at, just north of the, go- oh, is that far north? Sausalito, just north of the Golden Gate Bridge. Voice in the Dark says, uh, shared our Sacramento rally speech with everyone I know. That's going around. We, it's pretty amazing. I'm, I'm, it's gotta be God. It's totally God thing. The, the Sacramento speech, because he's making amazing things happen. Look, you got some Bakersfield people here. Yeah, Bakersfield in the house again. Again. So what was I saying? I don't even remember. But California, I forgot to mention that our friends at Liberty Council are representing two of the pastors in Chicago under threat by the Chicago governor and the Chicago Department of Health. And um, I was actually contacted by a third pastor. I spent a good bit of time this morning on the phone with our Liberty Council friends, and we're going to try to get another pastor hooked in. But they're already at the appellate level for injunctions. This is how quickly this stuff is moving, and it's going to be moving really, really quickly when the governor shows up with a bulldozer. (laughs) I don't even, what? What? I don't get this. And this whole argument that we talked about yesterday, I don't mean, I I feel like I'm standing up and re-preaching some other preacher's message. You know how guys do that, right? Well, the preacher just, and then they go in and re-preach the message. It's what we did yesterday. So let me just say, if you did not see yesterday's show, You've got to go back and watch, listen, hear yesterday's show. You have to. It's absolutely essential because we talked about this false paradigm of, oh, you've got your rights. Your rights aren't, you know, your rights aren't being eliminated. Uh, You just don't have them exactly. And this keeps popping up everywhere, JC. I just don't get it. And... I I had an interview today with a a young patriot, and um, it's called the Freeman Report. 
What a great... Don't tell me that all the millennials are snowflakes because we've got great, great millennials out there. And the Freeman Report is a, is a great young man who is so liberty-minded. But you know what's amazing about him, JC? His name is Thomas, and uh, I should probably try to pull that up so you guys can see it. Yeah. But um, he's on YouTube, but uh, he's not only liberty-minded... I have never seen, uh, well, let me put, never, I hate doing that. I have, I will have rarely seen a young man of his age group so hungry for understanding truth and knowledge. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull this up right now. Maybe I'll look for it a little bit later. Dragon's Talon throwing out the... Thank you, Dragon Stallion. Welcome, ready. Kevin from Kentucky. Uh, this guy who designed the Lemuel Haynes T-shirt was sent to us. Man, <gasps> really? I, one of my favorites. I wear that all the time. No, I know you need Appreciate to. Appreciate that. I know he gave you permission. You need to put that up on uh, GodGunsLiberty.com. Yeah, we need to connect. Yeah, you need to do that. You need to do that. Anyway, so he was. We were talking about this, this <sighs> stupidity of people saying you have why are you whining about losing your rights nobody's lost your their rights but in the argument jc they say that you haven't lost your rights you can still do them here you can still do them there you can still do them somewhere else you can still do them this way right but the very definition of infringed and the words in the bill of rights that say shall not be infringed the very argument is you're not a lot, you're not, you're not, rights are not being eliminated because you can do them here, here, and here. You just can't do them here and here. Their argument contains the understanding that they're being infringed, mm -hmm. right? Because infringed doesn't mean eliminated. Right. And that's something that we've really got to understand. Infringed does not mean eliminated. No, it's literally on the fringe, against the fringe. Against right? the fringe. Fringe. Yeah. Against fringe the fringe. Fringe is the root of that word infringed infringed shall not be infringed it's, it's on the edges the fringe and so then they come play out play golf right yeah around around the uh, outside of the putting greens the fringe the very argument that they make is the very definition of why our founders did what they did. You know, JC, I have a whole class, I don't want to go back to this, but I have a whole class at libertyfirstuniversity.com called The Great Debate. And in that great debate, it's absolutely amazing, JC, in that great debate, Alexander Hamilton makes an argument, and he makes this argument in Federalist 83, as to why writing down the Bill of Rights is dangerous. And he actually says that why do we have to tell the government not to do something when we've never told them they can't do it in the first place? Right. And then he says, he says, by making this list, he says, you are going to give men disposed to usurp the authority or, a, he says, a reasonable argument that they have the right to regulate your rights by the very nature of them being written down. It is an absolutely amazing thing. JC, you know what? Maybe one day this week I should go into that, you know, pull up the whole argument and let everybody hear exactly what Alexander Hamilton says. Because Hamilton gets a really bad rap. And... I'm not saying that Hamilton was a stellar guy. I'm not saying that he was the, the pinnacle of morality. Just on the virtue. issue of the banks, he was got a real problem. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, and I'm not making excuses for the guy, but the guy grew up with, with an economic inferiority complex. He grew up poor, and he was always self-conscious about that. And he was always trying to prove himself to all the people around him. And when you have, you're the psychologist, when you have that kind of ideology, right? You have that kind of motivation in your mind, mm -hmm. then greed becomes yeah. your motivator. And I think that's what happened to Alexander Hamilton over the years. Yeah, but your point is always, you know, he's, he's the biggest big government guy 
in relation to the rest of the framers and even hamilton right lands on the side even of liberty hamilton. on these issues yeah. like you look at the biggest big government guy you're so you know these people are so far big government from hamilton you got to be way off the freaking mark like even even the guy we call big government gets yeah. gets it in yeah. these instances yeah absolutely absolutely i just uh, and and what's amazing to me jc is the 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 level of in in uh insight that they had to human nature and alexander hamilton said experience is the oracle of truth and where its responses are unequivocal they ought to be held to be sacred and conclusive these these people and i don't say these guys because if i said these guys you have to understand that's in my midwestern vernacular when we say you guys or whatever that means everybody it's not a gender specific thing right i hate that i have to say that but nonetheless you don't have to say that. i know but i do but anyway um the people who created america appear to be prophets at times like they could predict the future because they had such great insight on human nature and government and history. Remember, Patrick Henry said, I have but one lamp by which my feet are guided, and that's the lamp of experience. I know no way to judge the future, but by the past. Mm -hmm. And Hamilton's argument against the Bill of Rights in writing. Now, let me be clear. Hamilton, and this is how this gets twisted, Hamilton was not arguing that we don't have these rights. Hamilton was not arguing that government should regulate our rights. Right. As a matter of fact, he was saying the exact opposite. He was arguing the potential danger the of danger. a written Bill of Rights. He said not only was it dangerous, he said it was unnecessary. Mm -hmm. And what's amazing, amazing, is that everything that he warned would happen if we put the Bill of Rights in writing. Has, is, has, happened. has happened and is happening mm -hmm. right now. Which his basic argument was, you know, if, if first off, he said in the Constitution, you know, the, the main body of the Constitution, we didn't give them, we didn't enumerate mm -hmm. any authority to restrict these things. So why do we have to tell them right. don't do right. what we never told them they could do in the first place? And he says the fact that you put the Bill of Rights you know, the Bill of Rights as we know it now, uh, in writing, these government actors are going to use that as a pretense I actually, to control your absolutely. rights. Absolutely. I actually have it right here in front of me. I think this is appropriate. So I said it was Federalist 83. It's not. It's actually Federalist 84. So I'm glad I found it so I could correct myself. Hamilton says that the Bill of Rights are, are, are dangerous and unnecessary. He says, they, the Bill of Rights, would contain various exceptions to powers not granted. And on this very account would afford a colorable pretext to claim more than were granted. For why declare that things shall not be done, which there is no power to do? And so we have to understand the whole premise of limited power in government. Uh, James Madison talks about it in Federalist 45 when he says the powers delegated by the proposed Constitution to the federal government are limited and defined. Mm -hmm. He says those that remain in the states are numerous and indefinite. So M Madison and Hamilton are two of the three anti-federalists that are explaining throughout the entire Federalist Papers that if we follow the Constitution the way it's written, we will have a limited and defined federal government that will only be authorized to exercise the authority specifically delegated. So that's what Hamilton's doing. He's referring back to that, right? Yeah. And so Hamilton says, why, for instance, should it be said that the liberty of the press shall not be restrained? Notice he used the word restrained and not eliminated, okay? Because you still have your rights. Mm -hmm. You just can't do this, that, or the <laughs> other, right? So they didn't talk about eliminating they didn't talk like rights. They, they didn't, didn't talk, talk about like eliminating these knuckleheads rights. Talk uh -uh. Today. No. He says, why, for instance, should it be said that the liberty of the press shall not Excuse be me. restrained? Yeah, be you right better get a package. <laughs> shall not be restrained when no power is given by which restrictions may be imposed. Hamilton says they, meaning the government and the people in power. He says they may 
urge with a semblance of reason that the Constitution ought not to be charged with the absurdity of providing against the abuse of an authority which was not given. And that the provision against restraining the liberty of press afforded clear implication that a power to prescribe proper regulations concerning it was intended to be vested in the national government. Now let me take a minute to just break that down for you, right? He says they might urge with a semblance of reason that the Constitution ought not to be charged with the absurdity of providing against abuse of authority, which was not given. So the argument is, and we actually heard Hillary Clinton say this. I, when this happened, this was a CBS interview of Hillary Clinton when she was running for president. And what Hamilton is saying is that these people, he calls them uh, men disposed to usurp. How great is that? Men disposed to absurd. Is that like absurd. a euphemism for politician? <laughs> it's like the same word, right? Oh, men disposed to usurp, right? So he's saying, so these people dispose, you want to break that down into I thought modern that was the vernacular? It's my brake pads. Oh, your brake pads. Well, they're quite quicker than the microphones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so break that down from a linguist perspective, men disposed to usurp. Well. Describe that. I mean, corrupt. you said politician. Corrupt, corrupt politician, right? Which is in their nature, nature to, you know, power hungry. Power hungry, right. Power Disposed hungry. to serve people whose M.O. is to take your well, stuff. It's, and there's so many, uh, so many politicians. It's like that's, that's their nature. It almost seems like that most of them have to have that nature for even wanting to, to go into politics, right? That's the motivation. Right. Not to defend uh, greedy SOBs, not to defend the rights of the people, but like the whole purpose that they go in there. They they want to be able to 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 control the people and trample their rights in order to uh, uh, increase their power and wealth. Right on the backs of the people. So he says these men disposed to usurp might urge with a semblance of reason that the command that we not infringe upon your rights implies that we have an authority to regulate them as long as we don't infringe upon them. Yeah. And that's what these nincompoops are always running around and saying, the pundits and the law professors and, and this, that, and the other, uh, that, that the government has an authority to regulate as long as they don't eliminate, right? They have transformed that word infringe to eliminate. So we can regulate you to high heaven as long as we don't eliminate your right. But remember, Hamilton's already said that you're not allowed to to um, interfere, right? You're not allowed to impose restrictions. So now the really the opposite of what Hamilton argued has been turned into legal doctrine by it law has. professors and attorneys. It has been turned into legal doctrine. So we're not eliminating your rights, but because you put them down and said we're not supposed to infringe upon them, that implies that you meant that we were supposed to regulate them or that we had an authority to regulate them a little bit. I mean, that's what you're hearing. And then he says, uh, yeah, so we have a proper power prescribed to us by implication, right? That's what you get. That's how you get plenary power definitions. These they always implying implied power and interpreted power. That police power comes from that too. In yeah. Police power is an implied power, Sovereign right? Immunity. The necessary and proper clause develops these doctrines of implied power. When in reality, our founders said we don't have any implied power. We have specifically delegated, enumerated power. By the way, doesn't that term sovereign immunity? when applied to government, contradict the very nature and definition of government in America. You think about mm -hmm. the, that first bit of Declaration of Independence. Right. Governments instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the government. Government's government. not sovereign. Right. Government can't be sovereign. Government has the people over them. You're not sovereign. Right. You're owned the only, by us. Right. But the only aspect in which the government is sovereign is over other governments. Right, sovereign from 
other, other governments. governments. So when you talk about a sovereign, go, uh, you, you talk about the state being sovereign. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the so- state being sovereign over every other government on the planet, including Washington, D.C. When you're talking about the federal government being sovereign, you're talking about the federal government being sovereign over France in America. Sovereign from France. Sovereign, thank you, from France. That's the proper pronoun, um, whatever that word is there. Um, I can't remember my grammar Preposition. Today. Preposition. Preposition, right. Okay, so... So the very thing that Hamilton's warning is saying, now he he really punctuates this. Listen to what he says. What is liberty of press? This is the question that he's asking. He's saying, look, you're telling them not to infringe on our liberty of press. But what is liberty of press? Right. Now, Now it's open for them to define. Right. He says, who can give it any definition which would not leave the utmost latitude for evasion? You're giving them the very opportunity to define what is your right, yeah. define and place into their authority. Because he who has the authority to define, JC, is the owner of that authority. It's like what, right. we, t- it's what we talk about. Which is supposed to be me. Right. It's what we talk about when our right to protect ourselves. Our right to self-defense, to individual self-defense, is to be free from the requirement that only other people can defend us. Because the moment we are restricted in our self-defense and we are relying on someone else, or no, I'm gonna put it this way, not relying, but mandated to rely on someone else to, to defend us, that person now defines our worth Because whomever comes to protect you, at the moment they have to stand up to defend your life, your liberty, your property, they have to define your worth as more than their own life. If they can't define your worth as more than your own life and they say, no, I'm sorry, I can't put myself in that kind of danger today, I cannot protect you, then, then you're owned by these people. And that's the same thing that they're talking about here. And it's just absolutely stunning to me. Sometimes, can I just tell you, it's discouraging. If all the times, you know, Chris Ann is the most optimistic person on the planet. What, maybe discouraging is the wrong word. Frustrating. Okay. Frustrating how everything we're seeing is actually in writing 250 years ago. And here we are, marching along, twiddling our thumbs, trying to figure out what we're supposed to do while the very enemy is, is def- doing exactly what our founders warned us the enemies would do. For me, I'd say it's depressing and enraging. Yeah, yeah, frustrating no, and enraging. You wonder why it got me on this. So we have, we have now again Harvard professors again uh, oh, no, I'm sorry, law professors again. This time, the University of Michigan. The, the University of Michigan, is the Atlantic a, 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 a liberal fish wrap? It is. It's a, an establishment kind of thing. It's it's a never-Trumper establishment uh, Republican oh, there, kind see, of Oh, okay, leaning. so that's where, where this status. thing they came have a status to my mentality. mind. This is where that thing came to my mind. I kept thinking, why is the Atlantic producing something like this? This is just weird. Yeah. But it's but you're but they're they're federal supremacists, is what you're telling me. They're in the kind of neoconservative realm, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I mean, now there's the there's that segment of they're they're enraged. They share with the left of being you know just. Uh, not, almost not sort of um, reasonably upset with Trump. Like, you know, when we talk about different things that the Trump administration are off kilter constitutionally, right? It's a right. Re- reasoned argument. Uh, they seem in the crowd, almost in the crowd of l- the left, where it's not a reasoned rage. It's just like, we hate Trump, you know, no matter what, whenever, and let's do that. 
Uh, and just very statist is another. Yeah, but thread lawyers. That runs through there. Lawyers but you know, have, have a tendency to be federal judicial yeah. supremacists, statists to begin with. So, yeah. but they do have different writers. Give so them the mo of hating Trump on top of it. Yeah. You know. Yeah, which it, they have so many different writers, so it's it's really. And just because I recognize that they hate Trump doesn't make me a sycophant out there. Okay? No, no, just, no. It's just oh, there's I a know, difference. But you, I know you know that, but no, but there, and, and our our uh, viewers know this. There's 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 a difference between reasoned opposition, right? When, when mm-hmm. it's based on principle, which is the whole premise of our show, the whole premise right. of our ministry. Uh, when it's reasoned opposition based on the principles of liberty and the Constitution, that's one thing. But it, just like the anti-Obama, anti-Trump, whatever, if, if it's in the realm of, uh, you know, you just, you just blindly hate the guy till you can't see straight, can't think straight, right. uh, that's, that's a problem. Yeah. So there's no historical justification for one of the most dangerous ideas in American law. Now, this is the subtitle. This is the head explosion moment for Chrisanne. The founders didn't believe, and the negatives here, the founders didn't believe that broad delegations of legislative power violated the Constitution. (laughs) But conservative originalists keep insisting otherwise. I, I don't even, I don't even, I can't even... It makes it more difficult every day to deal with these people, JC, because I have to wonder, do you think that they're actually illiterate? Because here you have a bold statement, right? Hear this. Um, Government... At most government activity in the United States rests on a simple idea that it's okay for the legislature to authorize the executive branch to regulate basically anything the legislature itself could reach. Working conditions, pollution, elections, financial products, uh, mask wearing, you name it. Okay, quiz what's wrong with that statement from the get-go without even entering into the realm of the executive branch. Uh, that all of these things he mentions are in the realm of state reserved powers. They don't been belong to right. the legislature. Right. These powers, the authority, he's, he's saying that it's okay for the legislature to authorize the executive branch to regulate basically anything the legislature itself could regulate, asserting that the legislature has a delegated authority to uh, reach working conditions, pollution, elections, financial products, uh, mask wearing. Mask wearing. Mask wearing. Where <laughs> is that? This is, re- this is the problem. What is, there's got to be, you're, you're my logic guy, right? What is it when you have an argument that is foundation is based on a completely false premise? You can't even. It's called a lie. A lie, right? It's a lie, <laughs> right? So, okay. Let me tell you what, I will agree with this guy that it's okay for the legislature to authorize the executive branch to regulate anything the legislature could itself reach. However, these things are well, outside the legislative branch's reach. Okay, let's. but can we take that a little further? Because here's another tactic uh, of, of the, the sort of subtlety that they use. Uh, first off, that's really not the point of what's being argued primarily, because while while the legislature, you, you, you know, you may say, OK, that agency can enforce these laws. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what we have is a legislature basically ripping a piece of paper out of the, out of the notebook, nothing on it. Yes. And saying you make it up. You, you are now on. the new agency fill this Go out. Do it. And so, creating so legislation through regulation. Unregulated, unaccountable, yes. rogue agencies. That is the history of the drafters of the Constitution. Yes. That's exactly, exactly what they revolted against. Now listen. So you you again, you got to go to college to get that stupid. This listen to this JC. How <sighs> Think about the, ta- the tax agents, be, the stamp collectors. How do people get to be law professors and write like this? Well, they, How do they write like this and not look at this and say, you know what, this doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, we're con- no, no, well, once again, we're contradicting ourselves. You're, you're, look implying, at this. you're implying honest intent. But they, they prey upon 
the ignorance of the people, the fact that the people don't know the history. They don't know, you know, the, the, the Stamp Act, uh, the Quartering Act, uh, you know, all the intolerable acts and the history that's tied to executive regulatory agencies that were turned loose loose on the people to do whatever they wanted accountable to no one. So a person can pitch this garbage because they know the people reading it have no attachment to their history. All right, listen to this. Just this paragraph is such doublespeak, right? They define what they do in this paragraph. And I'm this is remember this is a teach show and not a talk show. So it's interesting that what they do is they take control of defining the terms by their own definitions and then built their arguments on the false premise of the definitions that they've made up. Mm-hmm. Right? Am yeah, I getting sure, this? Sure. Okay. So he says the idea, they say the idea is now under attack. Relying on a so-called non-delegation doctrine, conservative originalists insist that the founders never intended for government to work this way. Okay. Yeah, because that's what they said, actually. Yeah. Well, it's it's the <laughs> it's it's an an they errant application actually, of the word non-delegation. Yeah. Our argument is, if the Constitution did not delegate the authority, you can't exercise it. Mm-hmm. Their argument is that Congress can exercise whatever they choose based on our definition of the general welfare clause, the necessary proper clause, the commerce clause. And as long as we can sort of bootstrap and figure out a way to jimmy a power in there, then the Congress can delegate power to the, yeah, to the executive I can, branch. I can simplify it. It's basically saying that as long as uh, the legislature is the one that uh, authorizes lawlessness, yeah. It's okay. Now look at what they say. They call for courts to strike down any laws that delegate too much power. Too and much, much power. of it Notice how it shifts that from non-delegation the laws to that delegate yeah, to too much power. Right, too much. And so much of the degree. federal bureaucracy along with them. Okay? I don't oppose the USDA because Congress delegated too much power to that executive branch. I oppose the USDA and speak to eliminate that federal bureaucracy because the Constitution itself did not delegate that power to the legislative branch or to any aspect of government, right? And so I just, I'm going through this thing and what's interesting, you go through this, JC, let me, let me put this up here again, just so you see, uh, in this article, who do they quote, JC? If you look through this whole arg- article, who do they quote? I see Locke. Yeah, well, no, they don't actually quote Locke. I don't see they them just, quoting people. I see them referencing right. people. The majority of their references come from... Francis Bacon? The Well, <laughs> yeah. Most of their arguments, if you come back up here... Come from whom? Supreme Court. The Supreme Court, because that's their God, right? So I want to show you guys. I'm going to read to you. That's interesting because that's who they actual actually quote. You mm-hmm. notice when they reference, yeah. right? Uh, the Enlightenment writers and the drafters. Right. They they just reference them, right? Exactly. They don't because actually give you the quote because the law Locke spoke of, right? Locke in his second Treaty of Government wrote about. Yeah. You know, and you have, what was the other one you said? Bacon. Yeah. Uh, a couple partial quotes there. Yeah. They're mostly referencing They're those They're cherry picking. Yeah. They're taking quotes out of Sir Francis Bacon, right? Okay. So they don't quote Montesquieu about separation of powers. They don't quote full principles. And this idea that, that, uh, that a limited government was not the intent of our federal of, of our of our of our founders, right? The founders didn't believe that broad delegations of legislative power violated the Constitution. Yeah, I just I just can't believe. Well, I can't believe, How but it, it's it's just sad. I want to you know people real quick. people. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Buy this as I mean, this is looked at as some sort of uh, higher intellectual writing or whatever, and and people swallow this like just just the very first pa- paragraph. Yeah. That. The readers, I guess, are such non-thinkers. Whoever is consuming this is such non-thinkers. You don't even notice that 
in what what do we have? Three sentences, less than less than four sentences. The argument is subtly shifted. Mm -hmm. He changed from non-delegation, meaning we didn't delegate that authority, mm -hmm. and then it then he shifts it to too much power. Mm -hmm. Okay, the, the argument about the extent, right? The the magnitude of the power is completely different from we either delegated you to do that or not. Right. right? Just like you exactly. said, it's not a matter, oh, USDA, USDA has too much power. If they just had a little bit of power, that's okay. No, it's not okay. No, it's not okay. You're not delegated the authority to enter into this uh, realm at the federal level. Period. That's it. So you, you see that subtle shift. This is subtlety. Mm -hmm. Subtle deception through subtlety. And people, uh, our, our thought process, our reasoning process is so pathetic. Yeah. that we fall for these subtleties. So I want to just, I want you guys to hear full quotes from our founders, okay? Just so you know, this is actually an article that you can get at chrisanhall.com. Um, and it's cut off here a little bit, but it's General Welfare Clause, James Madison's warning, it's not about money, okay? So uh, James Madison says in 1792, I, sir, have always be conceived, James mm -hmm. Madison. I believe those who proposed the Constitution conceived. And it is still more fully known and more material to observe that those who ratified the Constitution conceived, that this is not an indefinite government, but a limited government tied down to specific powers. That's where you can take this article and fold it and drop it in the trash. That's like a You're mic done. drop moment. <laughs> You're done. He's just contradicted there. He, he just basically has blown away the entire premise of their their article. Then you have Edmund Randolph. Who, the, who they said the founders didn't believe that, right? right. You just read in right. that article, the founders in no way believe this. He just said it. Not only James the founders, but the man we refer to in our history books as the father of the Constitution mm -hmm. is saying, look, this isn't just my opinion. It's the opinion of those who wrote the Constitution, but more relevant to our discussion. Because he's actually talking to Congress right. in 1792. James Madison is a, is a representative for a district of Virginia. He's in the House of Representatives speaking to Congress and trying to explain to them why... Yeah. The, the, why we wrote it this way. Why we wrote it this <laughs> way. Why Congress doesn't have the authority to subsidize industries... Why Congress doesn't have the authority to engage in in subsidizing people's incomes, you know, that stuff. Welfare, general welfare isn't about spreading the money around, okay? Edmund Randolph says to James Madison that the general welfare clause did not equate to general power. Okay, so you just move in. He says, but in the general constitution, its powers are enumerated. It is not then fairly deducible that it has no power. Oh, is it not then fairly deducible that it has no power but what is expressly given? For its powers were to be general, and enumeration would be needless. Right. But the rhetoric of the gentleman has highly colored the dangers of giving the, the general government an indefinite power of providing for the general welfare. He's saying, look, ha Patrick Henry... Is, is taking this to an extreme by just simply looking at the words general welfare. We have specifically enumerated their powers. If they have a general power simply because of a clause in the Constitution, then why would we even have a list? There you go. Two of them telling you that this is, this is not That the Michigan we, professors are idiots. That the Michigan professors are idiots. Idiots. So saith James Madison. And here's Madison again. For if the clause in question really authorizes Congress to do whatever they think fit, to provide it, uh, provided it be for the general welfare, of which they are to judge, and money can be applied to it, Congress must have the power to create and support a judiciary establishment. Do you know what that he's talking about? The administrative law courts. Mm -hmm. They have their own courts. With a jurisdiction extending to all cases favorable, in their opinion, to the general welfare in the same manner as they have the power to pass laws and to apply money providing any other general welfare. Listen, this is so important. 
If Congress, this is James Madison now, this is not Chris Ann Hall, this is James Madison predicting what our future would be when we lost track of what enumerated powers actually meant. When we listen to Michigan professors. When we listen to Michigan professors. Thank you. If Congress can employ money indefinitely to the general welfare and are the sole and supreme judges of the general welfare, they may take care of religion into their own hands. They may appoint teachers in every state, county, and parish and pay them out of their public treasury. They may take into their homes the education of children. Hands. Establishing, what did I say? Homes. Oh, hands. They may take, uh, they make, they may take into their own hands the education of children. Establishing in like manner schools throughout the union. They're talking about common curriculums, okay? They may assume the provision for the poor. They may undertake the regulation of all roads other than post roads. In short, everything from the highest object of state legislation down to the most minute object of police would be thrown under the power of Congress for every object I've mentioned would admit the application of money and might be called, if Congress so pleased, provisions for the general welfare. Now, what's amazing is that James Madison is speaking this as if it were an absurdity, J.C. Mm-hmm. Those who were listening to him thought he would be speaking in hyperbole. This would never happen. This is extreme. This is king. Why are you exaggerating, Madison? Why are you all worked up about this? This is just you fear-mongering, you know? Mm-hmm. This is, he says, I venture to declare... It is my opinion that were the powers of Congress to be established in the latitude contended for, it would subvert the very foundations and transmute the very nature of limited government established by the people of America. So instead of hyperbole, it ends up being prophecy. Prophecy. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you do? Once again... No people will tamely surrender their liberties nor be easily subdued when knowledge is diffused and virtue is preserved. But on the contrary, when the people become universally ignorant and debauched in their manners, they will sink under the weight of the government they request. JC, you just looking at me. I, I'm, I, no, I'm <laughs> I know, just, it's just like... No, I'm do? kind of, you know, yeah. No, I, I, honestly, I'm just, I'm kind of emotionally spent uh, it's with called this Minnesota a, thing. Emotional searing. Your your. No, I'm it, not seared. No, <laughs> you'd like to sear some things, yeah. but you're not seared, right? Gotcha. There we go. Okay, so um, we have we have this thing that I've been seeing in the news about. You've seen the picture of the guy who made an effigy of the Kentucky uh, governor. Hanging from a tree? Hanging from a tree. Now, I'm going to admit to you right now that the article that I have up here is not the best article on this. It's, it's just, just a cursory review of what's going on. I've read probably 10 different sources on this. The reason I chose this one is because it was the only one that I could put up here so you could see the actual picture, mm-hmm. okay? So you could see the actual picture. None of the other media sources, not Fox, not anybody, would actually show the picture. And the other thing was I couldn't stop the freaking pop-up videos. <laughs> I'm so irritated. So it's the Kentucky governor? So it's the Kentucky governor. And the guy was fired from his job mm-hmm. for hanging the Kentucky. Now, you know, it's whatever, just because his, his boss is a tyrant. And what I'm reading everywhere, the media, the liberal media is freaking out. This is outrageous. Just the liberal media? The, well, the conservative media is freaking out in a less bombastic kind of way. Okay. Does that make sense? So I would say they're... They're overreacting. They're, but they're uniformly condemning this they're as uniform, unacceptable yeah, and this unheard of. Unacceptable, and that's it. Say that again. Unheard of. Unheard of. Okay. This is un-American. So what exactly then would you say about, oh, I don't know, 
picture. Would that picture be un-American? Because that is an effigy of a red of, of a tax collector mm-hmm. hanging from a tree by our sons of liberty. I mean, seriously, how about uh, this one? That is not actually a real hanging. That is an, an effigy of a hanging, and they're about to burn it to the ground. What about this one? You actually have two of them hanging from this tree, which, by the way, is the liberty tree that we hear about in history. Not only did they have effigies of hangings, JC, they also had mock funeral processions with effigies on the coffins. So are we to... The generation that drafted our founding documents. The generation uh, that... and, and Okay, these are the Sons of you, Liberty. You, Some of the men who actually drafted yeah, the first literally put Literally put Quill the, to paper? Quill, quill oops, to parchment? Quill to paper, yes. Literally put quill to paper. Did the very same thing that this man did, which is unheard of, outrageous, offensive... JC, do you know how many times I've taught the history of our Sons of Liberty and I've told people, I've, or I've just put out there, what would happen today if we did that? And there you have it. And there you have it. Well, if our, if our Constitution is no longer acceptable, then surely what, what the people you know, who drafted it, how they expressed themselves politically is not going to be acceptable either. But but the, 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 I think the point there, uh, when you say, and they're saying, I think one fully said, unheard of in American yes, history. Yes, unheard of in American um, history. Which is, that's called a lie, actually. It, it's a lie. It's a lie. So you either don't know your history or you're lying. You know what? This This calls for a little Thomas Jefferson interlude uh uh there we go a little thomas jefferson interlude i wish i had like a a a special music that could play <laughs> in the background thomas, for my jefferson. thomas jefferson interlude he says and i usually leave off this first sentence jc but i'm actually going to read it mm-hmm. because the very first sentence is a comment on the character of the people So what has happened is John Norville is wanting to set up a newspaper. And Norville is is asking Jefferson in 1807, as president of the United States, Mm -hmm. okay? Jefferson in 1807 is president of the United States. Jeff is asking Jefferson, what do you think would be a great format for a newspaper? And Jefferson says, to your request of my opinion of the manner in which a newspaper should be conducted, so as to be most useful. I should answer, quote, quote, by restraining it to true facts and sound principles only, end quote. So Jefferson's response to Norville that a newspaper, in order to be most useful, must restrain itself to true facts and sound principles, which, by the way, is what we endeavor to do here. Mm-hmm. Liberty over security, principle over party, truth over personality. No matter how it hurts your feelings. No matter how it hurts your feelings. He says, yet I fear such a paper would find few subscribers. People out there in our chat room, can you see that in America today? Mm -hmm. Seriously, do you find it frustrating that you try to provide your friends, your family members, and your close associates with pieces of fact and sound principle. And they're not interested in it. They're more interested in the false narrative from the newspapers. Just a little question out there, because nothing is new under the sun. Now listen to what Jefferson says. And I'm quoting Thomas Jefferson's letter to John Norville, uh, June 14th, 1807. It is a melancholy truth, Jefferson says. Depressing. 
Yes, thank you. We'll have your parentheticals there. That's really great. It is a melancholy truth. Depressing. That a suppression of the press could not be more completely depri- could not more completely deprive the nation of its benefits than is done by its abandoned prostitution to falsehood. That's awesome. Abandoned prostitution to, to falsehood. falsehood. Right? He's saying a suppression of the press could not be more completely deprived. Well, I'm sorry. I always get that wrong. It, uh, that a suppression of the press could not more completely deprive the nation of its benefits. So the government could not suppress the press more dangerously well, if the than press the is, press is, is suppressed. Yeah. Right. If you suppress, like we, in other words, we need the press. Mm-hmm. We need the press. The nation needs the press. It's a benefit, right? Right. A, the press he's talking about, right. restrained to true facts, sound principles, right. to inform mm-hmm. the people. I mean, that's that was the whole thing of, I mean, the purpose, the First Amendment, and these principles. Uh, as you see, Samuel Adams, for instance, making his newspaper in in the midst of all this stuff going on to inform the nation. It was and and primarily, by the way, uh, for the press to shine its light on the government mm-hmm. in order to inform the people what the government is up to. Mm-hmm. But he's saying, but you, but they've abandoned their right. their but abandoned the prostitution to falsehood is worse than a suppression of the press could actually create. That's what he's saying. It, it, it that a suppression oh, this, of the press this could next not more had, completely deprive. We had okay. a, on our t-shirt. I have a t-shirt for yeah. that. You haven't put that one back yeah. up yet. Nothing can now be believed which is seen in a newspaper. Truth itself becomes suspicious by being put into that polluted vehicle. Listen to what he says. <laughs> Fake the news. real the, the polluted vehicle, that's your news. He says the real extent of this state of misinformation is known only to those who are in situations to confront the facts with their knowledge with the lies of the day. He says, I really look with commiseration over the great body of my fellow citizens who, reading newspapers, live and die in the belief that they've actually known something of what has been passing in the world in their time. People who read newspapers actually think they know something what's about on? what's happening in the world today. Nothing new under the sun, my friends. Nothing new under the sun. True now, or false? One in three see, people see blood when they brush. There's True. Why Paradigm tax helps prevent bleeding gums. Where is that coming from? Down here. President See, this is why I can't use these people. They're idiots. Okay. Now, um... I just want to touch this briefly because we have five minutes and 50 seconds left, <laughs> right? And I don't, we, because we've covered this on the show before. Now, I'm going to be, earlier in the show, I would have been accused of being a Trump sycophant. Mm. Now I get to be confused of being a never, I, I get to be accused of being a never Trumper, okay? Um, Donald Trump is... Speaking out against social media, he says he tweeted... Uh, is that today? It's actually today. Uh, Republicans feel that social media platforms totally silence conservative voices. We will strongly regulate or close them down before we can ever allow this to happen. What we, what, well, we saw what they attempted to do and failed in 2016. We can't let a more sophisticated version of that. Uh, and, and basically what we have to discuss here is does the government have an authority, once again, to regulate social media? No. The answer is no. We have a whole show on the false, what was the false uh, platform, platform versus publisher? Publisher versus that's platform created. false paradigm, okay? Yeah. Do you want the government? I see numerous conservatives arguing on those grounds. Numerous conservatives arguing yeah. on that and ground. It's funny, one one very popular uh, conservative guy, I heard him, the way he expressed it, he said they should be classified as uh, publisher, whichever one, now. So so he's actually arguing, give them the label, put that label on them, classify them, define them by the government so that you can then go and shut them down. So, I mean, he's literally talking about, let's, 
let, let's put you in a different classification for the sole purpose of shutting you down. Yeah. Okay. That's your conservative I'm closing argument. closing that. I'm just shutting those down. But that goes, that's kind of the flip side of uh, the never Trump, right? Right. The never Trump, if you're a never Trumper, you, you hate the guy so blindly that you can't think straight. Then the other side of the coin is you is you love the guy and loyal, so, so loyal, so in love, so enamorated, enamored that you can't think straight. So there are only two classes of businesses. No, it wasn't it. Two, there are only <laughs> two classes of businesses that ought to matter to Americans. Mm -hmm. Two classes. Private businesses funded by private money and businesses funded by tax dollars. That's the only classification. Number one, we shouldn't have businesses funded by tax dollars. Right. Twitter or Facebook shouldn't get government. Well, should and, not and get we public shouldn't funds. have public-private partnerships at all, right. period. Government should not be involved in industry, period. Okay? So what you're really talking about is agencies. So the only thing that can be funded through, that constitutionally can be funded through tax dollars are agencies. So there should be only two classifications. Is this a government agent or is this a private business? Now, whether Twitter, Facebook, these platforms got government grants is a completely different argument. Yeah, it's a different problem. And it, a different problem. And so don't so solve that okay, problem. Okay, look, look. I, don't come to me with this, oh, well, they're publicly traded on the on the Dow Jones, so that makes them a public company. No, they are not publicly traded with government money. They're publicly traded with private money. That's a whole private. You know what the, I, I had somebody tell me the other day, you tell me if I'm <laughs> wrong, JC, the stock market is legalized gambling on businesses. Would yeah. that be right? Basically. Okay. So the stock market being legalized gambling on, ba on, on businesses, which means that if you go to the poker table and you bet on something, or well, I guess it would be better. If you go to the horse races and you bet on the horse, that horse is a publicly traded horse. Does that mean now that it's a government property? The First Amendment is there to keep government from infringing on the rights of the people. Not to keep them, but to, you know, set up these boundaries so people will stop them from infringing on them. The very thing that, Do that Donald Trump is suggesting be done to Twitter is the very reason the First Amendment was written in the first place. Because you're not supposed to shut down people's businesses and shut down. Now, Twitter being a private business has the authority to control the message of its business. And That's if you don't like it... Find another business. It's a trap. This, this is how. This is the trap. It's the trap that's laid. You get get you so angry about what they're doing to you, which nobody's arguing. Does Twitter target conservatives? Yeah, absolutely. So you get so angry that like this is how you fight them. You better stop censoring me, or I'm going to destroy my First Amendment. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Don't punch me or so, I'm going to commit no, suicide. No, and like, what's what even is, worse, JC, in our last few seconds before we have to go, it's not only a trap on, on that, but it's once again the only solution that we can come up with our problems yeah. is asking the government to fix it for us and creating even bigger government. This is what we have to get over. We have to stop thinking like subjects if we're ever going to be free. It's sad you have to keep pointing that out. The answer to your problems it's is like not more I, government. The, uh, more government is your problem. Yeah. That's the, the one thing, since we didn't talk about that thing, because I'm not able to at the moment. But as I watched the video from Minnesota, uh, what bothered me were the people standing there negotiating, begging, talking. As one human being slowly murdered another human being in public and people stood there arguing begging pleading negotiating I, you know that and that's the thing mm -hmm. that you have to keep pleading with people to stand on your own two feet do so something in in relationship What's to that pleading thing here's your homework for your pleading thing your homework for today's teach show is to go read patrick henry's speech give me liberty or give me death because he talks about the begging and pleading thing. Yeah. Well, so I made my statement known. All you ghouls out there, um, 
I, I see that happening. No more begging, no more filming, no more negotiating. I see that happening. I'm intervening. Mm-hmm. Let the chips fall where they may. God bless you guys. We will see you tomorrow.